0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Today I want to talk to you about the unusual provision of God as we turn in our scriptures to Acts 23, as I finish up that chapter that uh, Jeremy began looking at last week. I'll be looking at uh, verse 11, but then the majority of time will be in 12 and following through the end of the chapter. Now, it's interesting, in this passage here from 12 to the end of the chapter, there is no mention of God. There is nothing spiritual that is directly said in this passage. Uh, What we have here is a narrative of another adventure in life, in the life of Paul, and in looking at this adventure, we will see God's provision, but in a way that we don't expect. And that's why I call it unusual. I can almost guarantee you that there is no one that has chosen a life verse from Acts 23, 12 through 35. I mean, there's just not a verse there that can be highlighted as powerful and meaningful in and of itself itself. And that isn't bad, but it's just a reality of this narrative. Now, the the passage is set up by what is said in verse 11, where God comes to Paul and gives him a promise, and then the rest of this passage shows how God keeps his promise. Now, let me quickly review where we're at in the life of Paul. He is under arrest in Jerusalem. When the crowd turned on him, Uh, And the tribune, Claudius Lysias, arrested him to keep him from being torn apart. Uh, The tribune wanted to find out the reason why he was being accused by the the Jews, why they were so agitated by him. So he gathered the Sanhedrin together with Paul and had Paul address them. But things went south quickly when Paul identified that the reason he was under trial here was because of his hope in the resurrection. Um, And I want us to look at that, and let me just read it, because I think it does the best job of explaining what's happened there. So, um, if you look at verses 6 through 10 uh, in chapter 23, look what it says there. It says, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees said there was no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if his spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, The tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. Now, as Jeremy pointed out last week, uh, this strategy of Paul really backfired on him because what it did was it caused such division that he doesn't get another chance to address this group and to share more about Jesus. And so there's a chance uh, that we talked about last week, Jeremy talked about that Paul was discouraged by this. It's like, you know, we see the humanity of Paul. He's not perfect. He makes mistakes. Maybe it wasn't the best thing for him to do at that time. And so he's probably discouraged. And in that discouragement, God comes to him at night. In verse 11 here, and he gives him a promise. And let's read that promise. Verse 11 of Acts 23. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. What does this promise declare? It says that Paul, in fact, will make it to Rome and there testify about God. God is promising, said, I'm going to get you there, Paul. Now let me ask you this. How good is the promise of God? Can we count on it? Do we know for sure that God will follow through on his promise? Is there any chance that God has made a mistake here and didn't see the future clearly? And in fact, maybe it won't work out that Paul gets to go to Rome. No. We know with absolute certainty that God always keeps his promises. Always. He never breaks a promise. If he did, then our faith would be worthless. Because we wouldn't know, well, what promises are true and and what promises is he not going to follow through on? And we can't have a faith like that. We have to have a faith that knows, no matter what, God will always keep his promises. And that's what we have in the Word of God. So God gives this promise to Paul that he is, in fact, going to testify in Rome sometime in the future. And right away, this promise gets put to the test. Now, what I want to do is set the scene uh, and let you know what's, hap- what's going to happen before I read the passage, because I want to ask you a question about this story here. So, as we're going to read shortly, we quickly find out that there's 40-plus men who have decided in their hearts that they've had enough of Paul. And they're going to put him to death. And they're so committed to doing this that they have made an oath. They've made an oath that said, We're not going to eat or drink until we put him to death. They come up with a plan. And the plan involves the religious leaders. They they need their help in it. So they go to the Sadducees, uh, the chief priests and the elders. And they share their plan on how they want to kill Paul. And they need the religious leaders to ask to want to see Paul. And in the, way of, uh, in the process of Paul going to see them, they were going to ambush him and strike him and kill him. Well, as we're going to see, there's a relative of Paul's that hears of the plan. And he goes to Paul and when he's in the barracks and informs him of the plan. So Paul now knows what these guys, these 40 plus guys are going to do. Now here's where I want to stop and ask some questions of you. If you were Paul, what would you do at this point? You've just been given directly from God a promise that you're going to make it to Rome, that you're going to testify about God in Rome. So what does faith in this promise of God that you were given look like? How is it lived out given this situation that Paul finds himself in? We know Paul's a great man of faith. We know he's a spiritual leader of Christianity at this time in history. What will he do? What will this spiritual giant as we see him, what will he do? What does living by faith in the promise that God has given look like? Let me give you a couple options, possible options that he could do. Number one, Maybe you know people that think this way. Maybe you think this way. Faith takes God's promise for what it is, and therefore Paul does nothing. He doesn't need to do anything. God's always promised he's going to go to Rome. Um, God's got this under control. I mean, there are 40-plus men, but what are 40-plus men compared to having God on your side and the promise of God that that you're going to testify in Rome? He thanks the one that gave him the intel and says, don't worry, God's got this covered. I'm in good hands. Hey, that's taking God's promise in faith. That's one option. A second option. Thank the man, it was actually a relative of his, for the intel, and immediately enter into prayer with a plan to later sing hymns, remembering how well that worked when he and Silas were under arrest in Philippi. Remember the story? They're singing hymns at at, at midnight. God brought an earthquake. The prison doors fly open. It worked well back then. Let's employ that this time. Why not go by past good experience? That's the second option. Third possible option. Ask the informant to go to find other followers of Christ and let them know of these plans so that they can join Paul in praying for his protection. I think about what happened in Acts 12 where an angel comes and leads Peter out of prison and when he goes to the house of Mary at night after they finally let him in it says that the people the reason they had gathered there at Mary's house was to be praying and we see what the difference that prayer made in Peter getting miraculously released by angels so maybe that's an option Paul takes saying hey you need to pray let others know so that God will send an angel Get me out of here. Save me from these 40 men that want to kill me. Now these are all possible courses of action that Paul could take, all in the name of having faith in the promises of God. They're all very spiritual responses, uh, but as we're going to see here, um, Paul does none of them. Instead, he does what appears to be not very spiritual at all, and is actually quite risky. So let's pick up the story verses 12, I'm going to read 12 through 25. When it was day, the Jews came, uh, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went out to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune, tribune to bring down to you to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, uh, for he has something to tell him. So he took him, brought him to the tribune, and and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand, and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of the men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink, till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. So here we have 40 very zealous men. Paul was a very zealous guy too. And these guys seem every bit as zealous. I mean, they're serious. For a guy to say, I'm not going to eat until I kill Paul. You know, they're being serious here. I don't know about you, but when I've read this in the past, I've always thought about what happened to these guys. I mean, we know that Paul doesn't get killed by them. Did they all die of starvation then? Uh, Because we know they're not going to be successful. Are there historical records of all of a sudden, yeah, 40 plus guys all of a sudden just died of starvation? No, they didn't starve. Because the breaking of an oath in Jewish law would simply require them to bring an atonement offering to the temple and all would be forgiven so it's not as radical a statement as it first appears when we read it so these men they go to their religious leaders the religious leaders with their plan and as per usual uh, the leaders disappoint they agree to the plot and are willing to play their part in having paul killed what drives these religious leaders to agree to such a thing well from other passages we know that jealousy and pride drives a lot of their decisions they were men who were more interested in keeping their positions in protecting their religious structure rather than seeking the truth and desiring to truly grow in the relationship with God they didn't have really a relationship with him and I, and I look at this, and and we see it from Scripture, time and time again. These religious leaders doing things that are evil, that are not of God. And as disappointing as this can be, boy, I don't know about you, but I can still catch glimpses of myself in in their behavior. We can all probably relate to times when we have gotten stuck in uh, in religious activities, and and somewhat of a rut in and we're just going through the motions. We're not truly seeking truth or desiring to grow in our relationship with God that much. We're just doing what we always do. We're praying, we're reading the Word, we're attending church, we're giving, we're serving. But it's done out of routine and duty rather than flowing out of our love for God and out of having that vibrant relationship with Him. Our heart is is not engaged. And I, I think when I when I look at this and I think about that, I, I realize it's good and healthy for us to periodically do a, a spiritual heart check where we search our hearts and say, you know, why am I doing what am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing out of my love for God or just to be doing it? Am I mean, desiring to know more of God and to know the truth? or am I just being religious for the sake of being religious and appearing good to other people? I think those are heart checks we need to do periodically to make sure we haven't kind of gotten off track because it's easy to do. So back to our story. The the plan to, to kill Paul is agreed upon. What happens next we see in verse 16. It says, The son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush, So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now, right now I can tell you, we don't know anything more about Paul's sister than what says here that he has a sister and that she had a son. So his nephew comes to him. Uh, How did he find out about this plot? We don't know. All we know is that he goes to Paul and he tells him about it. So what does Paul, the spiritual giant, do with his intel? Verse 17 and 18. He says, called one of the Saturians and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say. I want to stop here for a moment. Do you realize how risky this option is? You are entrusting, Paul's entrusting his life to the tribune who is not even a believer. Is there any guarantee he's even going to listen to this young man? Will he take him seriously? This could all easily fall apart. Yet yeah, we see in verses 19 through 22 that the tribune takes it very seriously. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? The Jew, Then he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him, but do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. Now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you've been informed of these things. Look how seriously he took this. But first consider, I want you to consider all the ways we see God at work here. First, the fact that a relative hears of the plan and is able to go to Paul and tell him of what's up. I mean, that's God at work there. I mean, how in the world did this young man hear of the plan? The provision of God. Secondly, the tribune willing to listen to the young man. That's God working. He didn't have to listen. He just said, well, what do you want? I'm busy. I don't need to listen to you and then to take not only listen but take it seriously where he says let's go privately so no one else could hear if he didn't do that if he waited to see well what if you have to tell me other people hear of that then they could get back to these guys that hey they're onto your plan better change it but he pulls them aside privately the provision of god fourthly he tells the young man to tell no one to keep it a secret again god at work the fact is God can move and work in anyone's life. And they may have no clue that he is even doing it. If we were to pull the tribune aside and say, Wow, did you see how God worked in your life? He'd say, What are you talking about? God wasn't at work. I didn't hear God telling me any. This was all my decisions. They were all my decisions. You see, God can do that. And we see the unusual provision of God for Paul. Then in verses 23 through the rest of the chapter, we see how seriously he took this intel. Look what it says. Let me read that. And then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea as the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to the council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing, deserving death or imprisonment. And when he disclosed to me that there would be a plot against him, the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering the accusers, his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to anapartus And on that next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with them. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what providence he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cecilia, Cecilia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So let's do the math here. Forty plus zealous Men, hungry men, wanting to kill Paul versus 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, plus 70 horsemen for a total of 470 Roman soldiers, armed, fully trained warriors. I think if these men saw what was going down and saw the army transporting Paul, their zeal quickly evaporated. They could start to hear their stomachs growling for food. And it's time for them to get their atonement offering ready so they can eat again. The tribune went above and beyond to secure the safety of Paul. But don't think for a second it was because he was such a nice guy. Look back with me in chapter 22 when Paul was speaking to the crowd and they turned on him. See what action the tribune took there. Acts 22:22 22, 22, up to this word they listened to him then they raised their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth talking to, about Paul for he should not be allowed to live and as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging 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 can kill a person they put chunks of rock and glass on the end of these leather strips and and whip a man with it. How about just starting with questioning the guy? But no, he wants to have him flogged. It's not that this is some nice guy. It's when they have they have Paul stretched out, they're ready to flog him. And Paul brings out, "Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. I haven't been condemned yet." To which all of a sudden, then the tribune pulls back and is afraid and thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm in trouble here." Um, make no mistake, this action of the tribune in Acts 23 is because of the result of God keeping his promise to Paul and working in this godless man, in this pagan man, to provide protection for Paul. Now I want to go back to the promise in verse 11. Notice, as was true, I think, with almost all God's promises, he doesn't give any details on how he's going to carry it out. I mean, wouldn't it be nice for God to say, you know, you're going to testify in Rome, and but tomorrow there's going to be a group that's going to try and kill you, but I'm going to send your nephew to you, and he'll inform you. You're going to send, tell him to go to the tribune, and he's going to go into all those details. So Paul knows, oh, okay, that's how it's going to go down. God doesn't do that. All he does is to say that you're going to testify in Rome. Now, I don't want us to miss how important this truth is. I believe one of the ways that we can enter into a crisis of our faith is because we add things to the promises of God. We put expectations on what the promise will mean specifically in our lives. Things that that we think should happen or will happen or things that will not happen because of this promise that are not stated in the promise of God. But we assume them to be true, but in reality they are not. And sometimes I don't think we even know we intentionally do it. In Acts twenty-three, for example, with the promise God gave Paul, he definitely didn't take the promise. Paul didn't take the promise to mean that he was to do nothing. When he was told about the plot from his nephew, he took action. He pre- he did what was presented to him as an option, and he th- thought through. So, okay, why don't you go tell the tribune? Let's look at another very familiar promise in Romans eight, and I want to see is illustrate maybe how we can sometimes add things to the promises of God. Romans eight 38 and 39 very familiar verses, uh, great promise from God it says this. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awesome promise. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love will always be with us. We will never be alone. It's an awesome promise. The danger is what we can do with this promise of God is we can humanize it. What do I mean by this? What I mean is that we we can put ourselves in God's shoes and think about how would He carry out this promise if He were me. So we start thinking, according to me, what does loving someone look like? What would I do or not do if I love someone? For example... To love someone, doesn't that mean I wouldn't let them get the coronavirus? If I love someone, I, I would never want my child to get the coronavirus. So, why would God, who loves us, allow any of us who know Him to get the coronavirus? You see, that's using human reasoning rather than trusting that God knows what He's doing and He has purposes and plans. I recently read about how Beth Moore, who is an American evangelist, author, and Bible teacher. She is the founder of Living Proof Ministries. She was talking about, this was early when COVID came out, going out and wearing a mask. And someone wrote back, where is your faith in God? Faith to them meant you don't do anything to protect yourself. You simply trust God. How does that fit with Scripture? what we see, let's just look in the life of, of Paul in Acts. Various times, Paul finds out that his life is in danger. What does he do? Does he say, hey, bring it on. I'm not afraid. I'm holding my ground. God's going to protect me. No. He says he takes off. He leaves. He gets out of that situation. He's not putting his faith to a foolish test. So what does it mean? to put your faith in the promises of God faith doesn't mean as Beth Moore identified she said faith doesn't mean you don't protect yourself or others who may be fearful of getting the COVID virus she understood does a love of God mean no harm will come to us no heartaches no tragedies certainly I won't lose my job because of COVID a loving God wouldn't do that that's not loving me If I look at it simply from a human point of view. You see how this can mess our faith up? Is that what the verse says here in Romans 8? That we're never going to go through tough times? Or is this projecting upon God what we think true love looks like from our perspective? Think of all the suffering Paul went through. From the beatings to imprisonments to being stoned to being left for dead to being stuck in prison for years. And yet, not once did Paul question the love of God. We live in a fallen world, unfair things happen to us all. But this doesn't mean God doesn't love us or has left us. We know He does because of another very unusual provision of His, and that is the cross. Jesus leaving heaven leaving the throne coming to this earth with the sole purpose of taking upon himself the sin of the whole world and dying a cruel death on the cross the unusual provision of God so that we could be forgiven so that we could be redeemed so that everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ become can be adopted into the family of God forever all our sins forgiven being made right with God all because of the cross and Jesus any and all suffering that we will go through in this world will seem like nothing compared to what we'll experience when we enter into heaven for eternity it will be worth it but it's hard for us to grasp that because we, we don't have a taste exactly. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I mean, what is it like to not have to struggle with sin? What is it like to never have any pain anymore? To not fear? To, to have all sin, all evil removed? We don't know. And that is why I believe this verse in Colossians 3.1 is one of the most important verses for us to live in this fallen world. It says this, Colossians 3.1 Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. To value the things of heaven and God more than the temporary things of this world. We need to think about what is it that we have in Christ? What have we to look forward to? What things will be no more? What has God provided us? And by so doing, we therefore don't sink our roots too deeply into the things of this world and value them more than what we have in Christ and what lies ahead. Because this is how we get tempted every day. This is what the world tries to do, to try to get us to value our comfort more than anything else. It's about having more things. It's about needing to impress people by what we have rather than our greatest treasure, which is having a personal relationship with the living God that will last forever. We don't know what today holds for us, but what we do know are that the promises of God will never fail us. They will always be true. He will love us through whatever we go through, and he will one day take us home to glory. God uses Paul's nephew and a pagan tribune to secure his safe passage an unusual provision but in reality does god ever have a usual way of operating can you say oh yeah i know what he's going to do here i know what he's going to do here we're kidding ourselves if we think we can figure out what god is going to do next may we use this example of how god kept his promise to paul to remind us not to add anything To the promises of God, not to humanize them, not to think we can be in the position of God and we can figure out what it is to be the loving thing to do. I heard a president of a seminary recently tell a story of having to take his young daughter into the doctor to have a painful shot. She was too young to understand what was going on and why this was happening. And as her dad held her in his arms, she was screaming. And she cried out, Daddy, don't let them do this to me. I mean, why would my dad let them hurt me? She didn't understand the love of a father. She couldn't comprehend how this pain could result in anything good. So she simply held on tightly to her dad as she went through the pain. How well does this describe What happens to us here on this earth at times? We don't have the capacity to understand why and how something could possibly be for good or allowed by a loving God. And all we can do is hold on tightly to Him, knowing that nothing will separate us from the love of God. To believe in the promise, which doesn't mean we understand, doesn't mean it makes sense to us, but we trust that He always keeps promise is there something going on in your life right now that is causing you to doubt in some of the promises of God are you unable to understand why can you not see how anything good can come out of this look to the cross look to what Jesus suffered for you set your heart on the things above and what lies ahead because you're a faith in him and hold on tightly to your heavenly father who loves you trusting he knows what he's doing look to the cross i want to end by looking at a couple of lyrics of some songs that do a great job of communicating what we've been talking about i think songs can sometimes communicate what our heart is feeling better than just mere words the first one if you haven't heard this song You need to listen to it. Maybe you need to listen to it again in light of what we've talked about from this passage. It's the eye of the storm. Um, You need to get your phone out and listen to it. I just want to read to you some of the verses of this because this is just good theology. Um, It says this, In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, are you in the middle of a war? You guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Are your sails torn right now? Your love surrounds me (laughs) in the eye of the storm. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. When I realize I've been sold out by my friends and family, I can feel the rain reminding me, in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When the test comes in and the doctor says, I've only got a few months left, it's like a bitter pill I'm swallowing. I can barely take a breath. And when addiction steals my baby girl and there's nothing I can do, my only hope is to trust in you. I trust you, Lord. It goes on in the eye of the storm, and then it has this part. It says, when the storm is raging and my hope is gone, when my flesh is failing, you're still holding on. That's the truth. That's the promise we have from God's Word. Are you in a storm right now? Let this song remind you of the truths of the promises of God. And then this other song that uh, Mitch is actually going to lead us in singing. I just want to read some of the words here. Because here's some more great theology in the song. We're going to sing your promises. And it says this. When the weight of the world begins to fall. On the name of Jesus I will call. For I know my God is in control. And his purpose is unshakable. And here I love these words here. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I see. See I'm not going by my feelings. I'm not going by what I see. My hope will always be in your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free. My hope will always be in your promises to me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your promises. I thank you, Lord, that your work in ways that are unusual, ways that we would never thought you would have done it, but you do. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to see even now in our lives how you have been providing for us through all that's going on in this world today. Help us not to miss it. Protect us from humanizing your promises and adding to them instead of just taking them at your word and trusting you. Father, I pray for those who are going through it right now who have lost some hope, who need to be refreshed and reminded of your promises, reminded of your love that will never leave them. Remind them of what they have to look forward to, of the promises they have in you and the future they have in you. God, I thank you that your promises are always true. I thank you that we can trust in you always. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things.
1: Amen. And the way to the way begins. I know my God is in control And His purpose is unshakable Doesn't matter what I feel Doesn't matter what I see My hope will always be Your promises to me now I'm casting out all fear. Free love has set me free. My hope will always be your promises to me. Oh, your promises to me. So, okay. Two days to come I will not forget you tell You have supplied my everything Your presence is enough for me Doesn't matter what I feel Doesn't matter what I see My hope will always be Your promises to me Now casting out all fear For your love has set me free My hope will always be Your promises to me it doesn't matter how I feel, it doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free, my hope will always be your promises to me. Is gonna sink your love away. You will always be more than enough for me. You will always be. You always be more than enough for me. Oh, you will always be more than enough for me. Nothing's gonna stop. Can take your love you'll always be more than enough for me doesn't matter what I feel doesn't matter what I feel doesn't matter what I see my hope will always be your promises to me now I'm casting out all fear for your love has set me free Oh, my hope will always be Your promises to me time and this morning In the eye of the storm You remain in control In the middle of the war You guard my soul You alone are the anchor my sails are torn Your love surrounds me In the eye of Storm, your love surrounds me in the iron storm. Oh. Doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be. Your promises to me Now I'm casting out all fear Free love set me free My hope will always be Your promises to me Your promises
2: to me Lord God we trust you God thank you for the reminder Lord we can look in your scriptures and find promises all over the place that we can truly take to the bank we know that everything you've said in your word that hasn't yet come to pass will come to pass we know that every promise you've made in scripture regarding um, our provision you taking care of us we can trust you and God Help us not to interpret those promises through the lens of a human being as if we're in charge. But God, help us to read your promises for what they truly are to then be able to place our faith and trust completely in you, knowing that you will come through in your way, in your timing. And God, uh, give us wisdom as we navigate tricky situations like paul to kind of know what to do to take action to look at our options and and seek to be led by your spirit and make a decision that seeks to honor god lord truly our hope is in you this morning we do trust you we do proclaim that you're the promised keeper we love you so much god thank you for this encouraging word we pray this in your name Amen, amen, amen. Dawn, thank you again for sharing. Um, Brent, super excited for you, man, as you go off to do some deep soul care. It is. It does sound very scary, um, but we know that God's going to do work, and we're looking forward to you being refreshed, and um, you guys as well. We just pray, as the scriptures say, that times of refreshing would come for you guys from the presence of God this week, the rest of today we uh we love and appreciate y'all and again can't wait to hang out with you guys in person um, and can't wait to fellowship with you guys when the when the lord allows that to happen so we love you guys and appreciate y'all very much god bless you